Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Creative Alchemy Podcast, and I'm your host, Monique Pantel. Here, we explore creativity and life through story, synchronicity, and tales of possibility. This is a place for artists and dreamers to share wisdom, inspiration, and empower you to explore your own creative life. Together, we hold space to speak dreams into reality and share transformative ways of creating and living life. Let's dream, alchemize, and create. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Creative Alchemy. Anthony Doe has been traveling as a storyteller for over six years and doesn't intend to slow down anytime soon. He is a self-taught filmmaker and photographer raised in rural Alberta. Today you can find Anthony chasing and documenting the best stories in every corner of the planet. He is aligned with some of the most influential people and brands today, and you can find his work published in renowned travel magazines. Anthony believes if you can tell a good story, you can change the world. I love that. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you. This is so exciting. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting for me because, well, we worked together, I think, three or four years ago on a wedding in wine country. It was in Kelowna. And as wedding days go, they're really fast. And you and I never had the chance to really sit down and talk. And I remember finding your work after the fact and being like, oh my gosh, I wish I could have cornered you in the wedding and and just like peppered you with questions. <laughs> You're so, so talented. And it's been such a pleasure, I guess, to have worked with you years ago and followed your journey over the past three or four years. So where are you joining us in the world from today? I am joining from Iceland, which is where I was living when I met you in September of 2019. I remember the exact day I met you. Really? Oh, wait, it was the long weekend of September 2019. Yeah, exactly. Well, and what's Iceland like today? I love the season. So we're currently in midnight sun season, so the sun never sets. So cool. I have a friend that lives in Finland that I recently met. He came over to Panama last month and he was sharing some of those midnight sun photos and they're just incredible. Like we think we get long days in Canada because you're from rural Alberta. So I think those long summers, like we think we get it, but it's something else. Like you must just, what time do you go to bed? That kind of has nothing to do with the sun, actually. It's nice because I'm a night owl, but it's not really night owl here. It just feels like you're working during sunset for the whole night. Kind Forever. Of Weird. Yeah. It's an interesting thing for my creativity because when you're acting as a photographer out here in Iceland during the season, you have this like patient relationship with golden hour because you know how in regular golden hours, it's like, oh, we have 15 minutes to get the light. Yes. Here it's like, oh, I'll shoot it in an hour or two hours from now. It's, it sticks around all night. Weird. I never would have thought that, that it really shifts the way 
you interact with while light and the environment as a photographer, as a creative. Yeah, you're just not rushing. Like the sky's pink and purple for like five hours. <laughs> Wild. Yeah, it's paradise. Oh, I can't wait to go one day. The woman that photographed that wedding with me, actually, you had the pleasure of meeting her. Do you remember Karen? Karen Peterson? Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. she's amazing and she's an angel. She's also a photographer. She's also a nurse, um, but also a very talented photographer. And um, her and I, originally before meeting up and her shooting that wedding in Kelowna with me, we were supposed to go to Iceland together and it never happened. <laughs> So maybe maybe one day in the in the future it'll still happen. But I, the landscape is incredible, and what I think is so amazing about your work, Anthony, is that like you can identify that it's your work. Like you can be scrolling on the internet, scrolling on Instagram, and you stop. And I say immediately, I'm like, oh, that's Anthony's for sure. And you can kind of dive in. And yeah, you're just you're such a beautiful storyteller. And recently you created a YouTube video or a few YouTube videos now. And it's sort of like the story of how you came to find this incredible career because you have really found your footing and found a really beautiful rhythm of, you know, success in a lot of areas of success you know like I think you feel really connected to the work that you do you have a flow you can do this as your job which is incredible and you started out feeling really lost is how your first video goes it's um remind me of the title of your video like the one that was, was most recent that one no the very first one um where you take us to New Zealand and you take us on a hold it's like how you find your purpose yeah, oh, it was it was titled The Story of My Life, but it was really the storytelling of how um, I felt very lost in the beginning, and then I kind of just left to New Zealand on a whim, and that just kick-started everything. I found my passions, I found everything, and then it would eventually somehow turn into a career six years later. Yeah, it's so neat. Watching that video is so incredible because you pull sort of old footage from your life and we get to see you as a schnerdy little little <laughs> dude and you know, you're kind of you've got all these growing pains and you're kind of trying to find your place in life as we all do, but it's really sweet how you've laced that film together. And then we get to see you go from rural Alberta where you were really kind of struggling to find your confidence. What made you decide to just like leave on a whim? I remember you'd walked into a, some sort of bar at like 18, 19 in rural Alberta and you had tried so many different things, which is really similar to me. Like around that age, I would walk into bookstores and I would read Wayne Dyer, Dr. Wayne Dyer. At, one of my favorite books was Inspiration. And so I'd read it and some of the things they would really resonate, but I just wasn't sure which way to turn. And, you know, as life does, it takes you on this like journey and all of your experiences, good and bad, they sort of contribute to where the road takes you next. So I'm so curious, like what made you decide to just leave like alone? That's kind of a big move. Yeah, I wish that it was a conscious decision. I think at just that point in my life, without telling a 50-hour story, I was just sitting in the environment where I felt most comfortable. Um, I think we all kind of have this environment where it's a familiar place with familiar faces, and we just know it. It's that comfort zone. And from one second to another, that comfort zone just terrified me. I just remember zoning out, snapping back to it. And it's not against the people that I was with. It was just something happened inside my mind in an instant. And I looked around this room and I think I felt 
like I just didn't want to be in that room anymore in a much bigger sense than physically. So I just got up and I left and I felt like that was the only window in my life where I needed to do something. And if I didn't, then I probably never would have left. So I just uh, leaned into that for the first time in my life as someone who is uh, very fearful of everything growing up. Um, I just had a moment of clarity and I decided to run with it. That's incredible because I think being complacent also was a fear for me, but I didn't know how to sort of like move around that. And I had a lot of fear even just saying I'm a photographer. Like that was such a big deal for me, even though my dad is a photographer and he was like a role model. But I think I had all of these stories in my head of like, what will people think? And that's my dad's thing. It's not really mine. Who am I to step out and start showing my work? Like it's not even that good compared to all of these other people. I had so much fear around all of that stuff. But okay, so that's so interesting because when you started telling that that part of like you look around you and everything's comfortable and you're in your comfort zone, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And then you were like, and I left. I needed to I needed to leave. I didn't want to be there. I was like, oh, right. OK, good. Yeah. So yeah. you jump on a plane and you go to New Zealand. And I don't know if you like have a, a name that you've called this like incredible 30 days, but essentially you signed up for a Contiki tour or something, something to the effect of like a youth adventure like one month long, let's do this thing. And it's almost like this 30 days of saying yes to every single thing. So like, yeah. what what were you doing? So yeah, I spent about four weeks in New Zealand. And that first week, I didn't have anything planned. And I'm so glad I did it that way. But that was simply because I didn't know how to travel. It sounds silly, but up until 2016, I had never been outside my small little town in Canada. So I didn't even know what a hostel was. I didn't know what to do do out in the world or how to do it so it's funny I landed in January in New Zealand and I thought it was going to be winter because that's what was going on in Canada, Canada. so I brought all my oh, no. all my clothes to the middle of summer in New Zealand and that was the worst but uh, yeah it was ridiculous and that's just how experienced I was in the world and I titled this chapter the fear facing chapter because I had a lot of physical fears but I all my demons were internal you know and I spent that first week just seeing what life was about, and I was lucky to hit the ground running. I met these two people right out of the gate the second I stepped into my first hostel. I was lucky to find two guys that were very assertive socially, and they're just like, you're coming drinking with us. And I was like, ah, okay. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that first week was very social. It was the first time I met people from different parts of the world. It's the first time I've heard accents. It's the first time I heard wow. stories of um and everything things that we all know now as uh, the world is more normalized to travel that was the first time I've ever experienced anything like that and then the next three weeks was the craziness because I realized I didn't travel across all the, the entire world to just drink with different people I wanted to do something so I went down to a travel agency and this uh, wonderful girl named Gaby from the Netherlands helped me she basically asked me, what do you want in the loveliest way? And I said, I want to see all of New Zealand. And she put me on this tour that she thought was a good fit. And it's kind of like a continuity tour. You're right. They kind of take care of the logistics for you, but it can be as aggressive or passive as you want. So not everyone was living like they had a death sentence kind of thing. It was just me on that bus really. that was just like, give me all of it because I saw myself in a really dark way. So I was like, this is the test. I'm going to see what I'm made of. So give me all the scary stuff. And if I survive, then I maybe got a couple more stories. 
Were you doing like sky jumping? Is that what you call yeah, it? Skydiving? Yeah, sky, sky jumping? Sky jumping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did all, I did everything you can possibly imagine. Um, skydiving, bungee jumping, white water rafting, black water rafting. Do you know what black water rafting is? No, but I've done white water rafting. Black water rafting sounds terrible. Yeah, it's imagine you rappel down into a cave, a beautiful cave, and inside of there, there's just rapids, waterfalls, and it's it's dark, but the cave is illuminated by glowworms. So it's oh, beautiful. Oh, that's really cool. Could you do a relaxed version of this? Yeah, there are three tiers, and I chose the most intense one. So you're kind of, <laughs> of like doing all these things. But there's ones where you can kind of just like float down the river on this tube and just kind of take it in. That would be my more my pace these days, I think. I think. Yeah, my, my <laughs> as an enclosed like, tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> an enclosed cave of water rafting of three out of three intensity. That's wild. Well, yeah. you survived. Yeah. Okay, when did you pick up a camera? And when did it become, when did you start feeling like a shift? You're like, ooh, I could maybe charge money for this. And this could be, like, what was your first paid gig? I'm so excited. So on this podcast, I've had only one other photographer, well, no, two other photographers, but we didn't really get yeah. into sort of like the business and where, how it all really kind of started. And for some reason, I don't know, like you and I, there's like weird parallels with certain things with your story that it, it just really resonates with me. So I'm curious when you picked up a camera for fun and then yeah. you started getting really good. I would imagine that people started telling you that you're good mm -hmm. and that would have done wonders for your little rural Alberta boy confidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to break it into the milestones and then you can kind of uh, ask me to expand if you want just to kind of move this six-year storyline as fast as possible. Um, <laughs> no, I, would, I love I would, this. Well, during this whole New Zealand time, I had a DSLR in my backpack. I just never knew how to use it. It was my yeah. friend's camera. I took it. It was collecting dust and I didn't use it because DSLRs are super intimidating when you don't, you don't know how to use them. Classic. That's why I created Photo oh. 101. Shout out to my Photo 101 course because that's, that's exactly it. Until you know what ISO and shutter speed is, it's just like, what is this rocket science thing yeah. that I'm looking And at? the aperture of a lens. Whoa, did you know that that could yeah. just, that's the game changer? Cool. Exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly why I never used my DSLR. It wasn't until that probably the last week of my New Zealand trip where I would title this part maybe my first photograph you know like I've taken other photographs on it they weren't good they weren't sharp but this was a particular night where I took a photograph where it clicked in my mind where I'm just like wow okay I get it now and so this was the setting imagine you're on South Island New Zealand and you're in a place where it's famous for the night sky you can see the Milky Way like it looks like a screensaver on the computer so this place is called Lake Tekapo, and it is one of the most beautiful places I've been still to this day after six years. And at nighttime, the sky lights up. It's a dark sky conservatory, I think is what they call it, right? So I'm on the beach, two in the morning, on a, just like this blanket by myself, fumbling around with my DSLR, Canon T1i Rebel. And Amazing, yes. It, with a kit lens, right? The class. <laughs> yes, amazing. <laughs> I've quickly Googled how to take astro photographs of the stars, and I thought being this beginner photographer that I was like, oh, I'll just memorize the steps and then I'll just go and try it. It's the worst decision you could make. It's just like take notes and then practice maybe before when it comes time to shoot. So I go out there, I have no idea how to do the settings. I don't know the first thing. It's a mess. I'm very disheartened and I don't know, call it what you want, but the two people that walked by next were just designed to be there in that moment because 
they walked by, they saw my face illuminated by the back screen of my camera in the pitch black. Possibly cross-eyed. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> and they walked by and they're like, are you getting any good photos? And I was like, uh, no, I actually really suck. And uh, they started laughing and they're like, well, the one guy was a graphic designer. And he was just like, I kind of know how to use cameras. Maybe I can show you what I know. They both sit down on my blanket and he fumbles around with some settings. And then he's just like, all right, you can click the shutter and let's see what we get. He takes a photo and we can actually see something now. It's not sharp because when you take your first photo at nighttime, it's all blurry. You have to find the focus point. Mm-hmm. So he, see, he takes it, but you can see the Milky Way, but it's blurry. I'm just like amazed at this point. And then I was like, how did you do that? So now this couple that was on their romantic midnight walk is sitting down with a stranger in a camera and they are taking photos with me and we're just kind of figuring out together, but they know a lot more than me. 10 minutes in, we're getting a sharp photo of the Milky Way. And then once I figure out some settings, they continued on with their night. And then the next photo I took was kind of like my first photograph where I played with the settings. I found the focus point. I put it on the rocks, propped it up with a couple more rocks as like my rock tripod. I still and do that. I, yeah, me too. I love it. I still it. do that. And, and I just ran in front of the camera, you know, put on 10 second self timer and you run over there like a goofball trying to find yourself in frame. And then you come back to the camera, look at the, hit the button with the triangle on it and just like, whoa, there it is. I'm in a photo with the Milky Way. And it was like my first raw photograph that looked, it wasn't that sharp, but it was beautiful. It's actually way back on my Instagram. Like it's like probably the sixth photo I've ever posted on my Instagram. I'll go back. That's worth it. Oh. I would love to go see. Yeah, it's like 400 posts you have to scroll through. <laughs> That's okay. I've got like yeah. 2,000 something, so it's fine. <laughs> I think in that moment, I felt what we all feel that first time where we are like, wow, this is, I created this. This is beautiful. It's not perfect, but it's mine. And that's magic that you can never really forget, you know? So after that moment, it became obsessive. I just wanted to photograph everything and anything, literally anything. Isn't that so interesting that your first photograph that you consider is like a self-portrait with you and the universe? Yeah, I never thought about it like that. That's very magical. Wow, no one's ever framed it like that ever. And It's like a self-portrait of you with endless possibilities. Yeah, and it's not sharp, which actually makes it better for me. Because I, yeah. I like how imperfect it is. I like this. I'm going to have to completely unpack this now for the next four weeks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, you were obsessed. So from there, I was obsessed. And I, like most people with DSLRs, carried around everywhere when you first started out. And I was photographing plants, animals, landscapes, you name it, I would snap it. And I would just share it to Instagram. And at this point, it was 2016. So Instagram existed, but it was definitely not what it is today. You know, now everyone's trying to monetize their life and brand themselves and have aesthetics and filters and crop ratios and all this stuff. They're just, everyone's posting it. It was the good old days, you know? Yeah, the good old days. Yeah. And so I remember posting it and people just started following along, which is the weirdest thing. Cause again, from, I'm from a small town. I have like a hundred people in my life at most at that point, you know, and for peep strangers to start following along my journey, I'm just like, what's going on here. And that went on for a little while. And I started to get, you know, it's strange. I got recognized for my photography work, but I saw the world in a filmmaking way. I've always seen the world in films and videos, but when opportunity was kind of knocking on my door, I was getting recognized for my photography, but I was getting hired for my filmmaking. So Mm. photography always acted almost as like my marketing revenue because as Instagram was a few years ago, that's what people saw first, photography. And then it leads us into my first paid client, which was the story of Aston Martin. 
the car company, the James Bond car. Basically. How crazy is that your first paid client is Aston Martin? I feel like sometimes life is a movie where I was wrongly casted into this <laughs> lottery film. What I a beautiful know. way to put that. Okay, wait. How did you even know how to quote Aston Martin? I As didn't. No, were I you like, learned. what do you want to pay me? <laughs> the, the equivalent of what happened in that meeting was, it's like uh, if you ask a kid, how much money do you want to make when you're older? And they say like an absurd number, like $100 million. That's basically what I did in that moment. But I spit out a number that was like what most people would consider a very high amount if you do an hourly rate, say something that's very good, yeah. but much higher than minimum wage, like 40 bucks an hour, 50 bucks an hour, something like that. I was thinking like 600. <laughs> $600 an hour? No, for minimum wage, like a normal, like, oh, for a nor- like sorry, sorry, for a normal job, it was like, no, no, no. Oh, like, for a nor- oh, yeah, okay, so like, but 60, 70, 60, 70, 80 bucks, yeah, 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 somewhere in there. I was just like, on, on their best day, if they work 10 hours, I mean, a good day is 400 bucks, 800 bucks, somewhere in there. So, I think I said a number around two or three thousand dollars, but at the time, I was just some backpacker kid, I didn't know. Oh. But I was, you know, anything over, you know, a few hundred bucks, you're just like, I'm pushing it. I had enough sense to be like, this is Aston Martin. If if I say like 200 bucks or I'll do for free, they're not going to take me seriously. Totally. They might not even hire you. They'll be like, what are you talking about? So I said what I said. And then the second I stopped saying my number, he's like, okay, great. And then I'm just like, oh, wow. Ouch. (laughs) Like, as in, I left. It it wasn't even part of the conversation. No, it wasn't. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he might as well reach into his pocket and just give me cash because it was like nothing for him. <laughs> Do you think they knew that they were hiring like someone new? Amateur. Am- well, not amateur, but uh, I was <laughs> myself less than an amateur at that point. I had no paid work. I didn't even have a website, a body of reference work at all to kind of give them. The, I think the reason why Greg gave me a chance is because he saw a couple of videos that I did and it showed potential. It wasn't uh-huh. good, but it showed potential. But I think he saw something in me that he saw when he was my age. He saw something similar, you know? Yeah, you were mirrored to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I could kind of get the sense that he was taking a bet on me and kind of gambling on me. So I think when people do that, you just never want to let that person down, you know? Nothing is more empowering when someone's just like, I don't know what it is, but I've got instinct about you. I don't know what it is about you, kid, but uh, there's there's something, <laughs> something about you that I just... <laughs> Basically, basically. So I just kind of figured it out in the deep end. Like that was amazing. Sink or swim, baby. Sink or swim. That's it. So that was my first paid opportunity. And after that, I mean. Wow. How cool. I -hmm. remember with with my career, I shoot, let's say, like luxury wellness and love. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of my two spaces. And then if I have extra time and energy for it, then I love involving myself in things with social change and social justice. Those are like my sort of areas. And it's been so interesting. I'll never forget the first and only time that I've been on a private jet. But my career has been really incredible. And I think like, I don't know about you, but it's sort of allowed me to get glimpses in all of these, all of people's stories. Like that's the reason that we get hired for things, whether it's a brand or people's own stories of their lives, we get brought into that world. And sometimes that world is, you know, I've worked in rural Kenya and IDP and refugee camps, like, you know, that's a world. And then I've also been brought into like, I got to ride in a private jet. And I remember packing my little carry-on and bottling my liquids 
you know, just so making sure everything was tickety boo. And I like take out my, my liquids like right before we board and they look at me like I'm nuts. They're like, oh yeah, uh, you don't have to do that. And we get on board and everyone's popping champagne and I didn't care, but it was just funny to me that there's a bathroom on board, but there's an extra seat of where the bathroom is on a private jet. And that was my seat. And it was still very cozy. It was leather seating and, you know, it was, it was the whole thing. But it was just such a, a crazy experience as a girl from, you know, little old Winnipeg, never imagined myself to be having that sort of life experience. And I would imagine that you're very similar coming from rural Alberta and now you're working with the Aston Martin and then life brings you on a, a wild tour. Yeah. It's not a philosophy, but it's definitely my mindset with life. I see it as like this game where I'm just like, how absurd can we do this thing? You know what I mean? Like how far can we see reality? Because it's like everything else less than that is just not fun to me. You know, as soon as you, I don't think everyone needs an Aston Martin to kind of get into that fun state of life, but to just have that curiosity and imagination to be like, how far can this go? And for people that start from humble beginnings, it's like, well, if I can go this far, like, you can do it too. Like, why don't you want to play this game with me? You know what I mean? Like it makes life so much more enjoyable. It's so fun. And I love that you're sharing that philosophy with kids. You recently did a talk, which was like a dream of yours, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. You got to share your story with kids. It was on the bucket list and it's a dream, but it wasn't specific enough to be like, oh, I aspire to inspire the young generation. I don't know anything about kids. I'm not like a kid person, I think, is what the, the hesitancy should tell everybody just in no, that much about kids. That's but, the best because I watched your video about talking to the kids and you can tell, not that you're not a kid person, but you kind of like <laughs> talk to them like people, which is, yeah. I think, the best sort of approach because kids are sort of caught off guard. You're like, why aren't you like A, B, C, D, E, F, B, I, N, G, O-ing me? <laughs> Like, why are you talking to me like a real person, you know? I think that's incredible. It's so cool. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, wait, can we talk about the bucket list? Oh, yes. You inspired that. I have to thank you for that. I can't That's all hear you, what you have to say. Tell me everything. Tell you everything. <laughs> yeah. What's happened? In what context are we talking about? <laughs> okay. Okay. In life. Okay. So let me back up. Years ago, I came up with this sort of activity and it's turned into a workshop called The 50. And it's essentially it's intentional goal setting, really rooted in experience and less material things. And you had caught wind of this practice or whatever, and you've kind of put your own spin on it. And my favorite thing to hear from people who have interacted with that idea or concept of what is called the fifth, I call it the 50, is hearing what has 
come to fruition after, you know, sitting down and writing these things that you want to create in your life. Because I also sort of agree with you that life is really interesting and it can kind of be this cool game of creation. And, you know, I've got projects that just sort of come to me. There's this book called Big Magic written by Elizabeth Gilbert. And it talks about these, how ideas kind of float around. And if you're ready for them, you can grasp them and kind of like bring them into reality. And so I just bought land in Panama and I want to do an art exhibition because because I'm not ready to build. Everything has to be done in cash and I don't have the money for it. (laughs) But what I can do is still use the land. I can do cool things on it still. So yeah, I want to do like an art exhibition there with the women in my town. But I'm so curious what has transpired for you. So I've always been a fan of the bucket list ever since life started changing in 2016 after I set out after New Zealand. I was like, there is power in writing down what you want, but even more so saying it out loud and just putting it there until it clicks. It just, people might not see it or understand it, but like, if there's one thing you should do, you should put down what you want to do with your life in view somewhere you can see every day and don't write down something safe, you know, tell people and make it scary or like, you know, make it feel like, Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, almost make it like, I don't like to use like the word dumb or stupid, but like, it's like, make it like stupid big. You know what I mean? Like, don't, I don't know. I think think that we just have to rewire our minds sometimes. But to answer your question, do you want me to talk about the things that have crossed off or the things that are still on there? For sure. I want to hear what you've crossed off because that's so cool. That's something that you put on your list, you know, at one point that you were like, I would love for X, Y, Z to happen. And then they freaking did happen. And then, of yeah. course, I want to hear a couple of things that you would like to see happen in the future, what you're kind of shooting for, because it'll be so fun in a year or two or whatever the timeline is to look back and be like, ha remember on the podcast? <laughs> you know, in the beginning, I think my bucket list was just filled with a bunch of destinations. And then as more years went on, I was just like, maybe that's not enough because not anyone, but like a lot of people can maybe just buy a ticket and then just go to that place and cross it off. But I wanted to find stories and purpose or projects or people in these different destinations. So I started to build my, almost my business around reverse engineering my bucket list. It's just like, for example, a few years ago, maybe in 2017, 2018, I really wanted to go to Iceland. That was like the top travel destination, but going there excited me, but not, not enough just to be there. I wanted to make art there. I wanted to have a life there. What excites me about travel is the idea of maybe living somewhere and getting to walk and talk as the locals do. I want to stay long enough to kind of immerse myself. So uh, when Iceland was on my trip, I'm trying to figure out ways how I can get there to create and make films because that's what makes me happy, seeing new places and meeting new people. So how I approached that was I found an opportunity and I started working with Half Thor, the actor from Game of Thrones and stuff like that. So I started looking at my bucket list as the destination, yes, but then finding a project in there. And then that would kind of cross off two things at once on a bucket list. You know what I mean? Mm. Then I connect because I all these bucket list items break into different categories, whether the destinational, professional, creative, personal health, all these different things. So the ones that I crossed off, it's crazy to think that Iceland was on the bucket list at one point because now I associate it with being home because totally. I, and gone maybe Ooh. a dozen times and I have I a base. I love here. that. Yeah. I love that. Something that was so wild for you before that is now mm-hmm. like home. That's actually exactly what Panama is for me because in 2019 on the cusp of New Year's Eve, instead of going out and having drinks, I loved to do New Year's just alone. 
<laughs> light some incense and like do vision boarding. And my vision board is literally, except for being on Super Soul Sunday with Oprah, <laughs> it's exactly my life. Even to the point of having like a jungle SUV vehicle. It's not, it's black on my vision board. It's white in real life. And maybe it's not having Super Soul Sunday podcast, but now I have my own podcast and maybe, maybe Oprah's like down the line. I don't know. <laughs> But that's so cool because I remember thinking the same thing, like Panama's like so wild, imagine maybe down the road and now Panama is home and same for you, you consider Iceland to be home now. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, there's a few other locations that kind of share that same pattern. You know, it was always my dream to go to French Polynesia because we all see mm. that photo of like Orbor or Tahiti or whatever. And as, as a Canadian where we endure cold winters, it's like, oh, I want to go somewhere like that. And it just seems so absurd to me coming from farmland Alberta to be like, I can't find a situation in those kind of tropics. That's that's wild. So when I started working with um, the ocean conservation company Coral Gardeners out there back in 2019, that was my first time stepping foot there. And this year I spent three months living there. And now I'm, I can say with confidence, it's like a different home with like a family and I have a team mm -hmm. and of people there. So call it an addiction to turning these wild, obscure bucket list items into something normal-ish, you know, like, like something that is a part of my life now, you know. So those are two examples of things I've crossed off. I also wanted to have photographs published in major magazines. I wanted to travel to Rajampat, which if you don't know, that is the richest part of the ocean, basically. It's the most protected and most beautiful part. Uh, it's not really an opinion. It's like, it's just like what you would imagine what the ocean should look like if you were to close your eyes and see the ocean. It's beautiful. And every piece of um, wildlife and marine life is basically situated there to some extent. At the time, I wanted to make a film that reached a million views, which sounds kind of like a silly goal because it's analytical and numerical, but it happened. And now you that I did, I did. It wasn't. What video was that? Uh, I was telling a story for a friend and he like lifted the most amount of weight on this planet, basically. And it was a good narrative, but I had some ideas on how to tell the story. And I don't know how many views it has today, but it's on YouTube with over a million views now. But it was a goal that I wanted to uh, write down because I felt like I was only going to make videos that uh, were going to be seen by small amounts of people. I don't know. At that point, I really wanted to see how widely viewed I, I could make a video. But now that it's crossed off, I know it's not really about that. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, I could go down the list. It's kind of cool to review with you just what's happened because I don't take enough time to do this. But for everything that gets crossed off, there's like 10 more that jump on the list. Okay. So what's something that you're aspiring for right now? Like, what do you want to make or see happen? Obviously, uh, come to Panama. Yes, absolutely. Number one. You took the words right out of my mouth. Amazing. I have leaned heavily into more storytelling projects. And that sounds vague, but I meant more so in the form of documentary. I've done the marketing stuff. I've done the social media commercial stuff. I have a love for a little bit of everything, but documentary filmmaking is like a very intimate process, you know? And totally. so- And it's immersive. Uh, it's like something that you become obsessed with and yes. then you kind of black out and you really get into it and everything else becomes sort of, you're in the, the what is it? Black diamond- Black diamond water rafting of life, of filmmaking. <laughs> I like your word choices better. <laughs> Sky jumping. Oh, yeah. God. 
So, I mean, on the topic of sky jumping, that is also on my bucket list. Not to do it because I've done it three times, but to get my license. Because the thing that used to scare me the most is now the thing that I love dearly. So I actually want to get my license and possibly be the person that gives people that experience. So wow, that's an example so cool. of a personal goal and a professional goal. But funny enough, uh, maybe we'll talk about it at the end. For like almost the day you asked me to be on your podcast. Yeah. Got the call. Yeah. Shoot the documentary of a lifetime for a new client and it'll be ESPN. So, Come on. Yeah. So this Can is the big say, thing. Or did you sign an NDA? Can you say anything? I can't say anything else. But Shoot. I just, just got to say that the opportunity came at the same time you asked me to come on your podcast. So, again, thank wow. you for being my lucky charm. Oh, wait, can we play hot cold? Am I dribbling an orange ball? <laughs> no, there's no okay. orange ball. Oh, am I very fast on a motorized vehicle? No, cold. Oh. No. <laughs> cool. Well, it's ESPN. Am I fast on blades on my feet? Cold. Cold? Okay, not hockey, not basketball, not F1. I'm like, what other sports are there? <laughs> <laughs> There's only those sports and nothing else. Okay. Am I a soccer player? <laughs> nope. Fun. Oh my gosh. Well, I can't wait to see how this process goes with your documentary. And I'm not sure what your connections are in the documentary sort of world, but I have an amazing friend who will hopefully be on, well, he'll be on the podcast for sure, but he's just one of the most brilliant people that I think I've ever met. He's really like academic, but he's an incredible filmmaker as well. We worked last year on a film together. It was an animated short film and it qualified for the long list for the Oscars. So he's like very talented and really story focused so I'd love to connect you to just as like a sounding board or if you needed somebody else to chat with very much so appreciated that wow I'm so excited for you Ooh, ESPN wow <laughs> fun but I will say the last thing on my list that I want to do that kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about is I had aspirations to build a creative agency and I've been able to get mine off the ground in the last three weeks and I it's actually what will be kind of powering this documentary because I realized somewhere along the journey that I can't do everything by myself. <laughs> Isn't that, I brought on an assistant in 2018 and it's just, it changes the game. I'm one month into that game and I'm in love. Like it's, yeah. it's like, why didn't I do this earlier? Wow. But there's a sweet spot, right? Where you're like, Ooh, can I make this happen? And then, you know, you do it and then you're like, oh, okay, whew, I can breathe or I can sleep or, you know, I can eat. <laughs> exactly. You have the time to do things. Wow. How cool. Well, I'm so excited for you. I was going to say, what are you shooting on right now? But like, I'm sure you've got so much gear at this point, but what is your go-to if you have to grab one body, one lens for mm -hmm any project you have one lens one body to shoot with what are you doing that's a very good question i like these questions with strong strict boundaries my kit's very small because i have to live nomadically so i have to live with everything that i own basically but that doesn't change my answer i think i'm gonna grab a camera that most people probably wouldn't expect i would grab my black magic pocket cinema camera which is different because that's a filmmaking answer but 
it actually plays into photography as well. I, I, I said in the beginning of this podcast, I see the world in a filmmaking way. Everything's in motion for me. But I've fallen in love with grabbing stills from my films because the mm-hmm. cinema camera produces amazing quality stuff. But something about grabbing a still at that frame rate with the motion blur and like that Super 35 look, it just looks like there's a story naturally in this photograph, you know? And there's something also very beautiful about not being able to have too much control over the photograph. Like you're shooting a video to get the scene and stuff like that, but the the still you pull from it is quite beautiful. And I mean, you could argue if that's photography or not, but I don't know. It's it's made me look at photography differently just from being able to film like that with this particular camera. This camera re-sparked my creativity. And the lens I would choose, I'm going to have to go with the classic 50. I choose the 50 because it motivates the look of a human eye, as you know. So that says everything about probably my personality. I'm trying to give people an intimate insight into what I see when I, when I tell stories and I use that focal length. I want them to feel like they're in the room with me, you know? Yeah. Too wide, it feels ethereal. If you use too telephoto, it feels too distant. So I, I really like the motivation of a 50. Ooh. I would have not guessed a 50 for you. Um, no. And that's that's a really great answer. And you've re-inspired me to pick up my 50 when I have it in my kit again. Because I, like you, have to live sort of nomadically. And I have to pick and choose the gear that I travel with. And that was something that I used to really pride myself on. Like now, after the pandemic, I've had a baby. And so I won't be whizzing the world around <laughs> for at least a little while. So I've sort of stayed put between Panama and Canada. Mm-hmm. But before it was like, I was so nerdy about packing. I had so much pride. Like when I would walk onto an airplane, I'd be like, what is up? Do you see this Osprey <laughs> backpack? Do you yeah. know <laughs> the ways in which I've packed this this thing so good with my packing cubes and how minimally I'm traveling. Like I was, I had one like fancy going out outfit, especially like traveling to Europe. I had this like black jumper and then, you know, never travel with heels because what's the point? But if I was shooting a wedding, I would bring this one pair of heels that were really, and they'd pack really nice. And yeah, I just was such a nerd about packing and packing cubes and weight limits and doing carry-on only and yeah I just I still love it <laughs> oh my goodness I, lo- I love how uh, geek- how much you just geeked out over packing and I relate 1000 percent I have packing down to a science I could literally move my life in five minutes if I needed to at any given moment so cool I, I quickly want to know your answer though I'm sure you've talked about yeah. it before like the one camera one lens So I'm in a sort of interesting spot right now because, well, the pandemic happened and I was living in Panama and I was sort of expecting my photography career to sort of, it paused and I needed a pause because my life was so busy with work. I didn't even have the time to share the beautiful work that I was creating. Like it was just so busy and everything happened. I landed in Panama. I had a real nice break from work and it allowed me to fall in love with photography again. So I'm still using the gear that I was using in 2019. So I've got, you know, my 5Ds and my big old lenses, but I'm at an interesting spot where I'm like, do I move to mirrorless now? So I just bought at the beginning of the year uh, water housing because Mm -hmm. my dream as a prairie girl coming from small town, Canada, 
I grew up watching the movie Blue Crush, and I thought when I was in high school, Roxy and Billabong were the brands to wear, and that whole lifestyle really resonated with me. My room was painted baby pink, and I had surf magazine cutouts all over my walls. Like, it's so funny to me now that that's, like, my life. Talk about vision boarding. (laughs) And, yeah, so I bought a water housing, and when you buy water housing, you have to buy it for the camera that you have, as you know, and water housings are equally as expensive as, like, actual cameras. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to hang on to at least this camera setup that I have to accommodate the water housing, and if it's a real go and things are really moving with it in terms of shooting a lot and that sort of thing, maybe I'll grow that forward, but I would just shoot with what I have, and that's my, yeah, 5D and, well... I have quite a few lenses, but um, my favorite is a 35. I love the Sigma art. That's why I take in the water. It's heavy. It's a workout. But I'm also not shooting massive waves. So when I started my love affair of surfing and the whole lifestyle, I was like, oh, I'm going to surf like bigger waves. I'm going to be this shredding girl in the water on my surfboard. And well, let me tell you, if you've ever been pummeled by a wave, it's not pleasant. And so... (laughs) That being said, I love baby waves. I love chill. I love longboarding. I like not feeling like I'm going to die when the wave rolls over me. (laughs) I just really enjoy like the sweet, like I like sitting on my board and watching the butterflies float over me. I like enjoying the landscape. I can look away from the ocean for half a second and not get like slammed by a wave. That's the surfing that I enjoy. (laughs) That's the surfing. I think we both embarked on this water photography journey this year because yes. it was really intense. So, I mean, what is the biggest thing that you've learned from starting this journey? Because there's so many things when you start shooting in the water. Well, okay. So I bought the wrong water housing for sure oh. because shooting surf with 35 is like not fun. You have to be actually where the other surfer yep. is and it can be really dangerous because you've got a surfboard coming right for your head. So I would probably start shooting maybe with like an 85, something like that, and then go mirrorless so it's lighter. But, you know, that's in the future. That's fine. Um, But work's actually really picked up for me despite living in a really small town. Um, It's seasonal for sure because it's dependent on tourists, but it's really nice. It's almost like work has flipped for me where before it was me traveling to everywhere else and shooting and telling people stories. Now I get to live in the most magical place and people from all over the world come to visit me well, you know, they're visiting the town. They're not visiting me. But they 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 find me as a photographer and they hire me. So I get to meet people from all over the world and say, oh, yeah, I've been to Switzerland. Oh, I love this place. Oh, yes. Have you been there? Cool, cool. Yeah, it's, it's just it's so neat. So I get that sort of international energy without leaving, you know, 500 meters from my house. It's so cool. I love it. They bring the travel to you. Yeah, it's really it's really great. Oh, Anthony. You're amazing. And we need to do this like once a month because I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface. You are so talented and I could just talk photography with you and adventure and travel and storytelling with you all day. This is great. (laughs) I can't believe how fast time has gone. Oh my gosh, I know. Well, let's just say part two coming soon. Thank you for coming and meeting and sharing your energy and your stories. You are such a great storyteller. And yeah, I'm just really grateful to have met you and worked with you so briefly. And yeah, 
I'm so excited to watch your journey as you move forward and shoot this exciting documentary that is not basketball, hockey, football, <laughs> or F1. <laughs> You've got one other major sport, but you'll find <laughs> I just want to say that I'm really grateful for you spending time with me and allowing me to be on your podcast. I think you are exactly where you need to be. You are such a strong communicator and you have this thing about you where you make people just want to open up and um, you just have a light. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks, Anthony. Oh, you're the best. Have an amazing day. Thanks. You too. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. You looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.